0: Good morning. I didn't realize until John said what he said, that I was the pastor to both of your pastors. And that means whatever they do well, they got from me. And whatever they do poorly, they got from someone else. I told the earlier congregation... Clinton Presbyterian Church is my only claim to fame. It was about five miles from Reformed Theological Seminary, and as you might imagine, had a large seminary community. One year at the start of school, there was a huge influx of foreign students, and the first day of school, they were trying to find a church to attend and as Presbyterians say, as luck would have it, they talked to a number of students who were attending Clinton Press. Where do you go to church? Go to Clinton Presbyterian Church. Who's the pastor Charlie Chase. Where do you go to church? Go to Clinton Presbyterian Church. Who's the pastor Charlie Chase. They got to about the seventh student, and they said, where do you go to church? And, and the guy said, I go to Clinton Presbyterian Church. He said, ah, Charlie Chase, he's very famous, very famous. So <laughs> that's, that's my only claim to fame as I stand before you this morning. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, and let's read about a genuinely very famous person, one of my favorite people in the Bible. Mark 5 is a chapter I recommend to you when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel buried under an avalanche of adversity, when you face a challenge that seems to you to be a Goliath, Mark 5 is a river full of stones that you may put in your sling to wage successful warfare. It's the chapter in which Jesus deals with three people facing humanly impossible-to-fix circumstances. Legion, about whom we read he was inhabited by so many demons, no man could tame him, they chained him, he was a demented Houdini, he broke the chains until he met Jesus and was clothed and put in his right mind. Jairus, whose young daughter died, no man can change death except the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the woman at whom I wish us to look this morning and at a particular truth I believe she models for us. So Mark 5, picking up right after Jairus requests that Jesus heal his daughter and Jesus RSVPs by saying, I'm going to go home with you, verse 24. And Jesus went with Jairus, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Let's pray. Oh, Father, blessed Lord Jesus, gracious Spirit, I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste the time of these dear saints who have gathered here to hear a word from the Lord. And so I come and I ask that in accord with your word saying that your word is not bound, that it would have free reign among us this morning that our consciences would be dealt with as David's when Nathan, sent by you, came to speak to him, that our minds might be renewed so that we might be transformed and become more of the kind of people you want us to be. I cry to you, Father, grant that when we leave we might be able to say, It was good for me to be in the house of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a dangerous job. I teach psychology. In the circles in which I move, that's the Presbyterian equivalent of snake handling. (laughs) Because as you, I'm sure, already know, much of psychology, at least in its secular version, is poisonous. And one needs to be quite careful when handling psychological teachings. But changing the figure, you can find a rose every now and then on these thorny bushes. About 15 years ago, I found one, one of the most profound ideas I've ever run across outside of God's Word. It comes from a man named Martin Seligman. You don't need to know anything about him other than the fact that, like I, at Clinton Presbyterian, he's very famous, very famous. Seligman argues that each of us has what he calls an explanatory style. And what he means by that is this. We have a way of talking to ourselves about the bad things that happen to us. A way of explaining those bad things that is particularly personal. An explanatory style. I'll never forget when I first read that. I felt like an astronomer who had just seen a new star. I felt like someone who had found the cure for some rare disease, because that truth came with such power and life-transforming influence into my life. I've been different ever since I read that. What Seligman's talking about there is the power of speech, particularly the power of how you talk to you and the power of how I talk to me. And that's an echo of a biblical reality, is it not? Scripture says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And that's true not only in what I say to and about you, but it's true in what I say to and about myself. I think that's why Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good unto the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. He's not just saying to me, Charlie, be careful what you say to others. He is saying that, obviously. He's also saying, Charlie, be careful what you say to yourself. To go back to Martin Seligman, Watch your explanatory style. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about the fact that you talk to yourself. And I want to talk to you about how you talk to yourself. Because I'm convinced, I am convinced after many, 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 many years of ministry, I know I don't look old enough to have that many, many's, but you got the point. I am convinced that far too many Christian people talk to themselves as though they were pagans rather than as though they were Christians. And I'm also convinced that that has a tremendous impact for ill on how they live. That's why I like this woman. She is a woman who knows how to talk to herself. Did you catch it in that 28th verse? Before she has a conversation with Jesus... She has a conversation with herself. For she said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. And I can see an ancient Jewish version of Martin Seligman (laughs) applauding and saying, way to go, girl. And even more importantly, I find the Son of God singling her out and honoring her by telling us that the way she talked to herself was a believing way of talking. Your faith has made you whole. She's a woman who talked herself into a blessing. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Three things. Blessed Lord Jesus, please, don't let this be an unprofitable time. Three things. Here's the first thing. I believe we find in this passage something that we find throughout the Scripture, and that's what I want to call the fact of self-talk. The fact of self-talk. You can call it the reality of self-talk. You can give it any label, any tag that you want. The point that I'm trying to make is this. She talks to herself, and that is not Haley Comet's rare. It is as frequent as you know in the conversation of a professional athlete being interviewed. You, as I, talk to yourself over and over, again and again, from the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to bed at night. I did not know this statistic after the morning service. One of the brothers told me that the stats are, we talk to ourselves 30,000 times a day. Now, I teach psychology. My first question is, who sits around counting that kind of stuff? But I think it is an accurate statistic. You may be as quiet as a cell phone without a battery in the presence of strangers. And even around your friends, the people to whom and with whom you are close, you may be as silent as a library, But there is someone to whom you speak every bit as much as a teenager speaks to her boyfriend day in and day out. And that's you. You talk to you. Sometimes you're fully aware of the fact that you're talking to you. Those words and conversations are as loud as a 17-year-old boy's radio when he pulls up next to you, giving you an opportunity to grow in grace and in sanctification. And sometimes they are so quiet that you've got to put your ear up to the wall of the bedroom to hear exactly what you were saying. But my friend, like this woman, you are saying things to yourself. You're saying things to yourself day in and day out. You're saying things about the bad things that happen. You're saying things about the good things that happen. You came in here this morning with a huge amount of your 30,000 quota already used up. You talk to yourself all the time. What makes that so significant and so strategically important to recognize is this. The way you speak to yourself controls the way you live. Now will you hear that again? Your conduct is a puppet whose strings are in the hands of how you talk to yourself. You see that right here with this woman. Her action is a dog on the leash of what she says to herself. She touches the hem of Jesus' garment, but before she does that, she says, if I do but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. The way you talk to yourself, the things that you say... Whether you speak words of death or words of life, words that discourage or words that encourage, the things that you say to yourself are either a drowning swimmer grabbing you and pulling you down, or they are wind in the wings of your spirit, enabling you to soar. What we say to ourselves has an enormous impact on how we live. The only other thing that I want you to see here is this. You control your self-talk. Uh, it may be one of the few things you do control. It may be the only place where you have the right to put on a crown and hold a scepter and wear a robe. But the way you speak is a matter that follows your choice. You choose how you talk to yourself. Say, Charlie, where you get that? Well... I think what you have here is a perfect example of what Paul says in Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, if there be any praise or if there be any virtue, think on these things. And your thoughts are simply your self And you are told there you control them. The way you talk to yourself, my friend, it's the exact parallel of what Martin Luther said about temptation. Luther said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep from building nests in your hair. (laughs) And it's the same with our thoughts. Thoughts may come, thoughts may attack, thoughts may draw their swords in charge, but they don't stay unless I show them hospitality. What that does in the way of encouragement is this. It means you can change the way you think. That's what Paul says in Romans 12, isn't it? I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now listen, and be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can change how you think, and when you change how you think, you can change how you speak, and when you change how you speak, you begin changing how you live. I found that years ago, one of the most profound things I had ever run across. And it has been of enormous influence in my life. The simple recognition, I talk to myself from the time I get up until the time I go to bed. And what I say to myself governs the way I live and I choose what I say to myself. Boy, it's been a long time since I used the word choose in a Presbyterian church. That feels awfully good. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. I think by what is absent here, we have an opportunity to think about foolish self-talk. What strikes me about this woman, as I read this passage, at least here, I can't speak for other times, but at least here, she does not have the weeds of foolish self-talk growing in her oral garden. What do you mean, Charlie? by foolish self-talk. Well, I mean things like this. Strap on your seatbelts, we're going to fly through a little turbulence. I mean the foolish self-talk of hopelessness. Do you remember when Jacob has his boys come back from Egypt and they go through the food that was brought back like the locusts go through when Pharaoh was there and they run out And go back, come, and Jacob finally throws his hands up and says, all these things are against me. Now that's the self-talk of hopelessness. And you don't have to go long with many Christians before you find they got the DNA of Jacob running through their veins. We can't do this. This is impossible. I I, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I I tell you, I don't need to listen to Fox News and all of its, however you think politically, tendency to talk negatively. I don't need to listen to any other. I just need to get around Christians because I hear the self-talk of hopelessness again and again and again and again. And I wonder, as I rebuke myself over this, where does Romans eight twenty eight come in? If God has pledged to work all things for my good, what business do I have talking hopelessly? Here's another one. The foolish self-talk of self-pity that's an exquisite French perfume that a lot of Christians wear not just females, males owed de self pity and you listen to them and oh they just everything they just feel so sorry for themselves and when you try to help no you don't understand and as long as you agree with them oh they're your best buddies but the moment you try to help them see you're feeling sorry for yourself you've got no business feeling sorry for yourself you're a child of God get off your fanny and get back into life that's not very polite but it's the point then they have a tendency to marginalize you because you're unkind and you're cruel, and you're not showing understanding. And yet, what did the psalmist do when he caught himself in self-pity? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within thee? Hope in God, for I shall yet... Pr-. Or then, think of this foolish self-talk. I don't know no other way to put it. Of self-exclusion. Here's what I mean by that. I don't find this woman saying to herself, I'm so small, and I'm so insignificant... I'm not going to get any help from Jesus. All the time I have people, Charlie, do you pray for little things? Yeah. Do you pray for parking places? Yeah. Well, I don't. Well, that's why you don't get them and I do. That's the first thing. And then, do you pray to win basketball games? Yeah. Well, you want me to pray to lose? And the answer I get, the response I get, what seems to be a Hamilton Burger charge to which I give a single Perry Mason defense, is this. You think God cares about those types of little things? (laughs) And about 10 years ago, the greatest theological answer I ever heard came to me. Here it is. You think anything about you is big? Now you think about that. You think about that. There is nothing about Charlie Chase that is big in the eyes of God. If it's all small, I'm going to talk. Plus... In everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God I'm not going to marginalize myself I'm not going to talk to myself in spite of my littleness and in spite of my insignificance and in spite of the fact that my spiritual stature is no bigger than Zacchaeus's physical stature which from what I read in scripture he was kind of a Jewish Danny DeVito I'm not going to talk to myself as though I don't matter to the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Here's what makes all of this so bad. When I speak the language of hopelessness, when I speak the language of self-pity, when I speak the language of self-exclusion, listen now, I slander the God to whom I belong. Would you take out a headline on the front page of the Macon Telegraph that said this, God Almighty is absolutely untrustworthy, is impotent in some circumstances, and is totally lacking in generosity in his dealings with his people. But when I speak words of hopelessness and self-pity and self-exclusion, I do exactly that. I do exactly that. Hopelessness. With me, nothing is impossible. I am able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. Am I not slandering him when I say this is hopeless and it can't possibly be turned to my good? Self pity. I have loved you with an everlasting love and in loving kindness have drawn you to myself. All my dealings with you are categorized by love. Those whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges. Every child whom He receives. Am I not blaspheming His love when I pity myself? And does He not say to me, cast all your care upon me, listen, for I care for you. So when I say, I'm too small, I'm too insignificant, I'm not important to Him. Am I not saying, I I can't trust you. I can't take you at your word. I can't believe you mean what you say. And ought I not to feel shame over that? And then when I throw in how debilitating it is, because it does debilitate. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ. And so I hope you see this matter of how we talk to ourselves. This is no small matter. It's no little thing. The very honor of God Almighty is a passenger on the ship of my daily conversation. I think that's pretty big, don't you? And that leads us to the third thing. And that simply is this. We've looked at the fact of self-talk, foolish self-talk. Here's the third thing. Faith self-talk. I'm Cajun, and when, when we go back to Lake Charles, and I get around family members, you can tell I'm Cajun because I, I kind of slip into a Cajun dialect, and I call my brother shy, and you don't have a clue what that means, but that's a Cajun term of endearment. Now, he's 70 years old. He's a 70-year-old shy, but he's my brother. And I love Him. And faith has a dialect. Faith has a way of speaking. And you find it in this woman right here. So will you hang with me a little bit longer? I I haven't put... Take off the seatbelt. Sign on yet. All right? How does faith talk? Here's the first thing. Faith talks about Jesus. That is how faith talks to itself. If I can but touch the hem of His garment. When I was a young pastor and even more full of myself than I am now, I would preach and my children would be in the back of the car as we would drive home, and I catechized them. And I had one catechism question. What did Daddy preach about today? And I thought, I was such a great preacher. My outlines were so sturdy. I, Frank Lloyd Wright could not have made a sturdier outline. And the illustrations were so entertaining. And the truth was so palpably... But I expected... Now, they were five and three and one, but that, they were Presbyterian pastors' children. And I expected a great deal of them. What did Daddy preach about? Until about the fourth time I asked him, What did Daddy preach about today? Daddy, you preached about Jesus. <laughs> and then from then on, that's the answer I got. And that is what we all ought to be preaching to ourselves from the time we get up until the time we go to bed. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. I have the habit of reading a sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon just about every day of my life and one of the things that draws me to Spurgeon like ants are drawn to the place in a picnic where a three-year-old has been eating is he preaches Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? I wish I could take this up. If I do, i won't get paid today. So, so we would see Jesus. Well, preach Jesus to yourself. Preach Him in His fullness. Preach Him in His magnificence. Preach His love. Preach His grace. Preach His mercy. Preach His strength. Today, I'd far rather talk about Jesus than about Charlie. And I'd far rather talk about Jesus than the things going on in my life that I don't have control over. Because when I talk about Him, I'm reminded He has control. Talk about Jesus. That's how faith talks. And then faith listen is optimistic when it talks about Jesus. Did you catch that? Now, you call this what you want. And I'm going to correct you because it's optimism. But listen now. If I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. Now what do you call that? I mean, she makes Norman Vincent Peale look like the biggest pessimist you ever met in your life. Why? Because my brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ says, if you belong to me, I belong to you. And all of my spiritual wealth is yours. Isn't that what Paul says? And ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's, and everything that is in him is yours. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what faith is. Faith is optimism about Jesus. It's not... Temperamental optimism, I, I, I'm the least naturally optimistic person you will ever meet. I don't see the glass as half empty. I don't see the glass as half empty. I don't even see the glass. It's got nothing to do with your temperament, and it's got nothing to do with psychology. You don't have to read the power of positive thinking To get this thought. And it's got nothing to do with circumstances. You can be optimistic in the way this woman is in the worst of circumstances. Because it's theological optimism. It's spiritual optimism. It's optimism based on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's the optimism of Romans 8. What do you do with Romans 8? We don't do enough with it. We are... Tattoo it on your heart. How? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What does Scripture say to me? I am in Jesus Christ. I have been predestined. I have been foreknown. I have been called, I have been justified, I shall be glorified. He that spared not his own Son, but offered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God be for us, who then can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's the way to talk to yourself. That's the way to talk to yourself. Yeah, life hurts sometimes. Yes, life can crush and life can bruise. I know whereof I speak. I take better care of myself than anyone in my family. And my great care has gotten me two major surgeries in the past three years. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. But you face life believing what Scripture says is true about you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is simply this. Nothing comes in. Jesus has no border problem. There are no illegal aliens coming across into the lives of his sons and daughters. Unless he gives them a visa. And the only ones he gives a visa to come bearing rich gifts of good. Now that's how you talk to yourself. Jesus and optimism. So let me give you an example. This is what the fight of faith is. This woman's fighting. The fight of faith is this. The fight of faith is the fight to stay optimistic about God. I'll give you just a couple of examples. Have you ever seen Chariots of Fire? Good. It's a story about two runners, a a, a Jewish Englishman named Harold Abrahams and a Scott Christian whose name is Eric Little. And Little is a sprinter or a, a distance man, but Abrams wants to see him run, and so he goes to France to watch Little run. And the gun sounds, and, and Little takes off, and they, they're hardly down the track, and he is elbowed off track. You, you know that scene? If you don't know that scene, your, your cinematic education is woefully lacking. You need to go get that movie and see it. I rent it for $150 for three nights, I, you call me. You know the scene, you're familiar with it. He's knocked over and he falls on the side and he's, he comes up on one knee, his eyes are glazed, he's, he's dazed and the camera pans away from him into the middle of the track where Sam Musabini, the legendary Italian track coach is and and the sound comes down on everything else and we are allowed to eavesdrop on Musabini and Musabini is saying what? He's saying get up lad get up 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 and I am willing to say in the church of Jesus Christ in the presence of brothers and sisters it is when Christian people start living that way that the world's going to pay attention to us when they see us getting up and getting up and getting up and getting up. Now I look. I've quit preaching, gone to medal, and I understand that. It's been four years since I was last here. This may be my last shot. I'm flying over, I'm dropping everything and flying out. <laughs> Someone said of George Whitfield, Whitfield is so cheerful, he tempts me to become a Christian. Blessed temptation. May it increase. How do you get up? The psalmist tells you. You refuse to indulge lying down and complaining and griping. Why are you cast down, O my son? you got no reason for that if you belong to Christ. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. That's how you fight. One other. This... Two weeks ago, this past week, I was, I was really struggling. I was not practicing what I'm preaching to you today. I'm sure that comes as a great surprise, but I wasn't. And I, I had such a sense of my own spiritual filth, and I just thought, how can I go back? I was convicted of a specific sin in my life, and I was cold as ice. But I reminded myself, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And I turned and I said, Lord Jesus, I know I've wronged you. I wish I felt worse than I do. I don't feel anything at all, but you tell me to come unto you just as I am without one plea. And I had my own little altar call and went. And he received me, and he cleansed me. And that, I think, is what the fight of faith is all about. It's taking truth, it's taking promises, it's taking what God says about himself, and using it as the shield, not only to defend yourself, but to be more than a conqueror. Which leads to this, and this will be the final thing I'll stop with. What is practiced here is to become our habit. This is the way we're to talk to ourselves all the time. And that's something you've got to cultivate. It's not simply going to happen. For me, I've got a little list of things I say to myself just about every day. I wake up in the morning. I'm a grace person. God's taking me to His grace place. God has put me in the grace position of forgiveness and acceptance. God has given me the grace privilege of making me his child. Nothing's coming into my life today that is not governed by grace providence. Whatever God allows to come, he has obligated himself to work for my good. Whatever grace providence appoints, grace provision will be there to assist me. Every challenge I face is an opportunity for me to make grace progress. And the day is going to come when I have grace perfection. And I am exactly like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the grace perspective. Wherever I am in my story, He will give me grace so I can give Him glory. And that truth, will you listen? That truth has brought into my life blessings I would not have had just as this woman would not have had the blessing she had had she not known how to talk to herself there are blessings and 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 the problem is not that i've said that too much i can't say it enough that jesus has available for his people when they know how to talk to themselves. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Father, help us. Oh, how I feel the sting of your rebuke, evil heart of unbelief. I pray, teach me to talk to myself. Teach my brothers and sisters not to tolerate ungodly self-talk. Help us to learn how to speak to ourselves as men and women who belong to the true and the living God who has pledged to us, I am for you. I am with you. I will never leave you. Teach us how to talk ourselves into blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.